I, I, I took a, it was a Theology 101 class. And in the Theology 101 class, the professor started our time together by talking about a piano. That when our theology, if you could, the black keys being the Old Testament, the white keys being the New Testament, uh, when, it, when you have good theology, it has a wonderful sound. It, it, it fits together. And uh, I thought about harmony this week and thought about the church. And so in Colossians, at least the first couple of chapters, deals with the supremacy of Christ and uh, his majesty over creation. In chapter 3, we move into the put on, take off the old sinful nature and put on the new nature. And then in the text that we're dealing with today, he really does focus on the church. If you've been catching my Wednesday night uh, teaching, We've been talking about spirituality lived out within the body of Christ, within the community of Christ. And this is really where Paul goes uh, today, at least in our text, uh, having explained to them that they need to put off the sinful nature and to put on the new nature. Uh, then he immediately addresses the church. That's us. So in Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17... We're going to look at three points this morning, and the first point is this, rest in Christ. Very tough in these turbulent times to rest in Christ, and that's what I want to remind us as a body of Christ this morning, to rest in Christ. You'll notice he starts here with peace in verse 15a, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The word peace is the word shalom. That sounds very Old Testament, and it's because it does come from the Old Testament. And it, and it refers to a general sense of well-being and prosperity, a quiet disposition in everything. So the issue here is an internal peace. It's not an external peace, because externally we can see everything going on around us, and it looks out of control, it looks messed up, but internally... And let the peace of Christ dwell in your hearts. This is the only place in the, in the New Testament where the, uh, the writer specifically says, let the peace of Christ. Now we do know in John 14, 27, my peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. That was the peace that Jesus promised. But here, normally it says, may the peace of God in Christ dwell in your hearts and, and so forth. But this is one of the rare times in the New Testament where it's directly attributed to Christ. What it means for us practically is that we need to have a picture of tranquility. Can you see yourself sitting out here? The water is calm. Look at the mountains there. Look at the skies. It's just calm and tranquil. That's an outward picture of how we should be inwardly. And I get it. There's a lot to be upset about today. I have to catch myself and probably Dr. Windsor's advice, we preach best what we need most. And so maybe this applies to me as, as, as well today because as, as a pastor, uh, I, want to have, I want to see my congregation. I want to see you. And so there has been a, 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 a turbulence. And so... 
me maybe more than you needs to be reminded of this this morning that we need to get to a place where we just just relax just relax let Christ and the peace that he promised calm your hearts now he goes on to write here and let the peace of Christ rule barbuo is the word for rule that word originally meant an umpire, somebody that governs. Here's Escobar being rung up at first base. Uh, that umpire is ruling on the field that you're out. And the peace of Christ is to rule our hearts. It's to help us in the decisions that we make in how we respond to life in, in general. It is to be the, the governor if you will, of our hearts to where we say, you know, I know the situation going on out here does not look good, but I am going to let the peace of Christ rule. I am going to let the peace of Christ dictate my thoughts, my feelings, and emotions. I'm going to keep those in check based on the rule of Christ in my heart and the peace of Christ rule in my heart, which means we have an option not to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. So when there's chaos inside is when we know that the umpire has been taken off the field and we need to bring the umpire back in so that he can make the call in our heart and calm our troubled waters. We've seen this word before. He says, let the peace of Christ umpire in our cardia, our hearts. This word heart does not refer to the physical heart. It refers to the emotionals of who we are, our thoughts, our feelings, how we think, how we view things. This is where the peace of Christ should be primal in our hearts. And you think about this for a second. If, if we are allowing the peace of Christ, that tranquil place, to invade our lives, it really will change the way that we think and view things. Okay. I know everything's shut down. I know we're tired of it. But we need to get to a place where we can just say, you know what? I'm going to let the peace of Christ, I'm going to find that tranquil place. I'm not talking about Eastern med meditation and stuff like that. I'm talking about just letting, say, okay, Christ gave me his peace. And I'm just going to rest. That's huge. That is a different way of approaching any situation that we encounter in our lives. I know I'm looking at a camera. So I know that there's quite a few of you out there listening. So I want you to remember the next time a turbulent situation comes in your life, just to stop and go, Father, help the peace of Christ rule in my heart. Just let it flow through me so that I am not up and down. And then immediately... He applies this to a corporate setting. Look at what he says. The peace of Christ, let the, and let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which you were called in one body. Now that, that is a reference to all of us as believers. What it means is the church is supposed to be a place of peace. If each individual member was allowing the tranquil uh, peace of Christ to reign in their hearts, 
then the church, it will spill over into, into the church where the church is then a peaceful church. One of the toughest things to see is when a church has anything but peace. It's easy right now because most of you are at home. You're watching this on your computer. You may be watching it on TV. Uh, but when we come back together and when we begin worshiping again, let's think about the tranquil. What, what does tranquility look like in a church? And if we were to do that, I wonder how many fights we would have and how many arguments we would have. The church should seek peace. We are community. Remember the third point of our uh, purpose is that we are community. We function as, as a body of Christ. And to think about um, that as we move forward. Peace should govern all activities of the church. If, the, if, the rule, if, if we're to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, then it should rule every activity that we do. In other words, we don't demand our way. We don't demand things to be done this way. We don't demand things to be done that way. We give preference. We say, you know what? For the sake of peace, I am just going to let this go, and I am not going to cause disunity within the body of Christ. And then he mentions here in 15b, he mentions thankfulness. And be thankful. You know, Paul writes a lot. I mean, he, he wrote a lot. And he is fond of the word thankful. And you think about who wrote this. Uh, a guy who had been beaten. A guy who had been shipwrecked. A guy who had been imprisoned at least twice. Um, he is saying to be thankful. That word, euharios, euharios means not just an attitude of gratefulness, but of expressing gratitude to God. So it's not just an attitude. It is also expressing gratitude to God. One of my favorite theologians, Richard Mellick, writes this. This particular word, however, does not occur elsewhere in the New Testament. Uh, Paul's used two, two now that only occur in here. The Colossians were to become thankful persons. I want you to think about this. If the peace of Christ is ruling in your heart, thankfulness will flow out of that. He goes on to add, this combination of thankfulness and peace is a logical one. Generally, a lack of peace results from self, self-seeking or dissatisfaction with things the way they are. Can I get an amen? We think about the COVID, we can't be together. I get that. Thankfulness points one to the realization that all things are provided in Christ. There is no room for ill will or bitterness if thankfulness prevails. In other words, people who are not tranquil and letting the peace of Christ rule in their hearts are probably not giving gratitude and joy to God and praising him. And that's a very good point. I think the two go, go together. Because of the conjunction here, and. You notice it's a simple word, but a very powerful word. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart and be thankful. Those two are connected. Conjunctions, they're equal. So the issue here is, uh, Newt Larson once told me, he said, you should celebrate everything. Celebrate this morning the fact that you are able to sit in front of your television 
or your computer and worship God. You're able to hear a sermon. You're able to sing songs. Celebrate that this morning. And there will be a big celebration when we come back together. Newt Larson was right. We need to celebrate more and grumble less. Uh, we need to show that we're thankful to him. Uh, Psalm 9-1, I love this. I will praise you, Lord, O Lord. With all of my heart, I will tell of the marvelous things you have done. Write this down as you're watching this morning. Make, make a list there right on Facebook. You know, people see this later. We have, I don't know, anywhere from 150 views and upward. Easter was like over 300. Uh, people will look at the video and they will look at what you've written. Uh, why not spend uh, just, just a few minutes, maybe after the service, just texting everything in there that you are grateful for this morning. That's, uh, that shows gratitude to God. Listen, it could be worse. The situation could be worse. So we need to get to this place where we just let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts and it doesn't bother it. I will give thanks to the Lord. Along with this letting the peace resting in Christ is also in 16, submit to the word. And we're, we're talking here about the Bible. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. There's two interpretations of this verse. I'll, I'll give them to you for those that are watching. It could be the word about Christ, his life, uh, his actions. It could be about the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, that which you've heard about. But a better translation is the word that comes from Christ. And where does Christ speak? The logos. It's a logos. Jesus is Logos. We find Logos in the Word. So we let this Word, what I'm holding here this morning, is the Bible. We let this Word dwell in our hearts. And I know you're already asking, what does the word dwell mean? Well, the word dwell means uh, inoiko, which means to take up residency. It's like you have invited Christ into your house. After all, we are the temple of God in which God dwells. And therefore, by letting the word, the Logos, Christ too, by the way, the Logos into our hearts, we are inviting it in. You can't do that when you're not thankful, you're not at peace. It's, it's hard to do because you may read through the Bible and not be grateful. But here he's saying that you, in, that you invited in, that you, in, that you invited in, that dwell means it's going to take up residency. Peter O'Brien in his commentary wrote this, the word is to have its gracious and glorious way in our lives. It is to be primal. And then it is to be richly. Let the word dwell in you richly or abundantly. Plusios, plusios. And that means to have a solid foothold that is overflowing. So a solid foothold in your heart that this is in your heart solidly. Because I'll tell you this, when you read the scripture, when you read the scripture, you know that our victory draws nigh. And this is what gives us hope. This is what gives us peace. This is, 
And as we submit, and the word dwell does mean to submit to the word, you invite him in, you invite the word in, and it sits and it takes up residency in your heart, in your house, if you will, in your, in your heart. Let the word of Christ dwell in your hearts richly. Let it take effect. Let it, let it be grounded in your heart. And then immediately notice rest in Christ and by the way community you rest in Christ too and now let the word have be submissive to, to the word notice what he does immediately after that remember there are no lone rangers in, in the Christian in the Christian church in our church there's no lone rangers we live in community notice what he adds right off right here let's get to that um, I'm going to skip that. Go to community, 16b. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, uh, singing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. In your cardia, your thoughts, your emotions, your feelings, to God. Now, living in community, didasco, Didasco is teaching, that is providing instruction. Every time you come to church, it should be some type of instruction or teaching. And it should be based on the Logos. It should be based on the Word. No sermon should ever be preached that does not come from Scripture. That's a fact. And uh, we read in other places, uh, uh, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Uh, the Word of God should be central in the life of the church. You can see this, this, this morning, the pulpit is central in the church. The pulpit for Southern Baptists, the Bible is central to the life of the church. Baptism, behind me, is also one of the central aspects of Baptist, and you could say Southern Baptist churches. But here... He's saying that every teaching should provide some type of instruction. Nutheto, nutheto is the word for admonishing. Now this means to warn someone, someone of the dangerous consequences of an action. As a, as a pastor, I have provided lots of instructions to people. And let me just say this. Sometimes people take the advice that I give them. And they take it joyfully and they say, you know what, I never thought of it that way, that way Pastor. I'm going to go ahead and do that since you showed it to me in Scripture. And then there's other times when I tell people what you're doing is wrong and they don't like it. So what they do is they get on social media and they say that Pastor Mike is crazy He's a totalitarian dictator. He has no idea what he's talking about, and that is wrong. That's somebody that's not letting the peace of Christ rule in their heart. That's somebody that's not submitting to the word. That is somebody that has totally gone rogue. It's tough. I get it. When a pastor or maybe a fellow Christian says, you know, maybe that's not the best way. This is... This is what the Logos says about what you're getting ready to do. 
And here's what it says. You may not like that. I've had times in my life when uh, a, revival, uh, a revivalist came to a church one time and I was sitting in like the fourth or fifth row and I just had a fight that morning with uh, one of the students on, on campus. And that revivalist came up right in front of me and said, if you've got something that uh, you have against your brother, do not give a, I don't know, he just picked me. It was, it was a God moment. He was looking at me and I felt like I was turning red because I knew that I had just had an argument with somebody that morning. And when he left, I got up and I, and I went. And I apologized to the person. I get it. It's not easy to be corrected. But somebody that is, has tranquility in their heart, is submitting to the word, will find it much easier to take the consequences of something of what they're doing is not right. Sometimes it happens in the sermon. There's only been one time in 30-some years of ministry that I was accused of picking on somebody. And I remember it well, and they were wrong. Not just because I'm right all the time. They were just wrong because they misread my attitude. I had no idea that they were doing it. So, yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, Sophia. That's the Greek word here. Sophia means to act wisely. So I want you to see... Providing instruction, this was in, with, within the body of Christ, to warn someone of a dangerous consequence and to tell them to act wisely. To act wisely in what way? In relation to the Logos. In relation to the Word of God. And then fourthly, songs, hymns, and spiritual songs or worship. That's what we do. I mean, we do that in, we do that in Sunday school. We do that in, 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 in worship here at, here at the church when we're all, when we're all together. Um, you know, somebody said to me, you know, I think the church should only sing hymns. Well, let me, let me, let me tell you this. I love hymns. The one that, that Brian played this morning, um, <coughs> the one that Brian played this morning, Trusting in Jesus, I love that. But you know what? I think the New Testament, we sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. I think it provides a wide variety here. I do not have a problem with this. I do not have, a, I mean, personally, uh, I don't like it to look like a rock stage or all of that. But you know what? If you notice the words here, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to come. I don't have a problem with this. So it's not the, it's not the actual type of worship. That's, let's, let's put it this way. That is a preference. I have a preference. I like hymns, but I also like spiritual songs. I just do. And I think you can, you can bring all of those within the body of Christ. Remember, that is a preference. And yes, I think the, the church should minister to all preferences. That's why I like hymns, and that's why I like spiritual songs. And, you know, we can sing psalms, too. Psalms, it's in here. Sing psalms. Um, 
And then he goes on to add this. And let me say one more thing about this. This should always be anchored in theology. It shouldn't be we have a fluffy, fluffy God with a fluffy, fluffy life. It shouldn't be that way. It should be anchored in theology. We don't sing fluff. And we don't worship a fluffy God. We worship a holy God, a righteous God, a God of judgment, a God of uh, judgment. That's who we worship. But we also worship a God of grace and mercy and peace. So um, I'd be the first to say, wait a minute, this has nothing to do with theology. We shouldn't be doing this. It should be anchored in theology. That is my point this morning on, on that. With thankfulness, notice he adds here in 16b, with thankfulness in our hearts to God. He says it again. After the first section, he says thankful, and now he says with thankfulness in our cardia, in our thoughts and our feelings and emotions, expressing it to God. Our heart should be a place of joy. Lastly, do everything in his name. This is where we walk. This is when we leave worship. You see what he's doing here? Um, that we, we come into church tranquil, the peace of Christ, we let that spill over into the congregation. You see where this is going? This, this, this covers from when you walk in and when you walk out. You come in. Everybody is tranquil. They have the peace of Christ ruling in their hearts, their emotions, their thoughts. And then they're all submitting to the word. You see where this is going? This is beautifully written by Paul. He, he almost envisioned somebody walking in the church and then sitting in the body of Christ saying, let's, let's, let's keep the peace. Paul says that numerous times. Let's keep the peace. And then we're going to submit to the word of God, whatever the, whatever. this is the other thing. This is the other thing. When I preach and I check my heart, when I preach, I always preach out of love. Now, I'm standing here, and I'm, if it's not the truth, God would strike me, but okay, better not say that too loud. But your Sunday school teachers, when they do their lessons, they're, they're not doing it to mess with you or to pick on you. They're doing it out of a lesson that they've been given, and hopefully those lessons are based and anchored in the Word of God. And so you come in, you worship, you learn, but then you've got to go somewhere, right? You've got to do everything in his name. Listen to what he says. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. By the way, that's a command in the Greek language. It's an imperative. It's an injunction. It's really not open for debate. The scope of this is given in two words, whatever and everything. That covers whatever is going on in everything. That's the scope. That should be the scope of our Christian life. Regardless, any, any, anything and everything that you do in your life. The action is in word or deed. You see this? In what you say and how you act. What you say should match what you do. So in other words, in word or deed, as we leave this building, let everything be done in the name of Christ. We have a huge privilege. Do you realize that this morning? 
we have a huge privilege. The privilege is that we can call on the name of Christ. The privilege is that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, called out for his purpose in this world. That's a huge, uh, that's a huge allowance in our lives. That's a huge privilege. We are a privileged people. We are a chosen people. That's you this morning. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you are a privileged person. If you have not trusted in Jesus Christ and you're watching this, uh, you stumbled across it, somebody sent you a link to watch this, this is what I want you to do. I want you to ask for forgiveness of your sin, invite Christ into your heart, make him the Lord of your life, and then get into a church. And you, and you will be saved if you ask for forgiveness of your sin, invite Christ into your heart. When do, I want you to go read Romans 10, 9, and 10. Read it. And by the way, that word justification means just as if I never sinned, but it means more than that, totally acquitted of all charges in Romans 10, 9, and 10. Go look that up. And whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But with great privilege comes great responsibility. Responsibility to watch what we say and watch our actions, what we do, in word or deed. We should have a match there. It shouldn't be unmatched. I say one thing, but I do something else. We've got to be careful with that. Sitting around a water cooler at work, for those of you that still work, Guy's telling something. I don't know exactly what he's telling. But the guy on the end here, uh, I'm a Christian. So the question is, should I be participating in this water cooler or not? Should I be going along with it or not? See, that all comes. That all comes. Uh, maybe the best thing to do in that situation is just walk away. Don't participate in it. Don't talk bad about your boss. Don't talk bad about another employee. Don't laugh at jokes that are uh, not appropriate for believers. That's what it means. It means that we, <laughs> we do everything, everything that we do. When we get in our car, when we go to work, when we go to the store, everything that we, every little aspect of our lives, that we're to do it all in the name of Christ. That, see, look, here is the deal. Technically, technically, I am only playing for an audience of one. I'm playing for Jesus Christ. He is the one that will judge my life. But ultimately, I'm playing for a bigger audience who will look back and say, you know what? If that's what a Christian is, I want nothing to do with it. Notice what happens right after this. He's followed it. We've, we've come in, we've let the peace of Christ guard our hearts, we've, we, we live in unity. Now we're going out. Notice what he adds, giving thanks. That's the third time, right? That's the third time. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. That is our attitude. So our actions, we do them because we are privileged people. And we do them because Christ is dwelling in our hearts 
the Logos, Christ and the Word, is dwelling in our hearts, and we have allowed the peace of Christ to, tr to transcend our hearts and to, and to change the way that we view things and think about things. So, um, thank you, Lord. How about just saying that today? Say, thank you, Lord. This, this is what we need to do. We're going to land this plane now. Let Christ give you peace and guide you. Let Christ give you peace and guide you. Secondly, go into the world living daily for Christ. And lastly, remember that we represent Christ. You want to do that this week? Let's go out and do that this week. Let the peace of Christ be the judge in your heart. Submit to the word. And whatever you do, do it in the name of Christ. You want to do that this week?